Hello, everybody. I'm Richard Olberger, PhD clinical psychologist on behalf of Richard Listens. And I am here with my co-host, Lorinda Phillips from Retired from Sports. And we will be hosting Making the Jump panel. And our focus of this podcast panel extraordinaire is about helping athletes in transition, athletes post-retirement, and today we promise not to disappoint. I am hosting this panel along with Lorinda Phillips, who will be introducing our guests in just a minute. If you or anyone you know through this pandemic and beyond are needing support in any way, whether it be emotionally, mentally, or to just raise your game as a high performer and managing your stress, please check me out at richardlistens.com. If you want to find more content related to my podcast or suggest someone you know to be on the podcast, please look me up on Instagram at richardlistens and my patreon.com slash richardlistens. Please sign up to be a supporter of our show and bring advanced content such as this panel directly to you. Without further ado, my fabulous co-host as well as CEO of Retired from Sports, Lorinda Phillips. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Making Jump as your co-host, Master Certified Coach Lorinda Phillips. Our guests are elite athletes offering their story and advice that is entertaining, authentic, and relevant. They have walked in your shoes. I really am excited about this guest because of what he provides for players. And uh, he is a chaplain and a minister, and he has a whole story I want him to talk about. But I wanted to just update everybody and say this is what he's doing now. He's the chaplain for the Denver Broncos. He leads chapel once a week for the team and the coaches. He leads players Bible study once a week, and they have a prayer after every practice, and then also a prayer before and after the game. I'm very excited that he takes his spirituality and other spirituality so seriously for the game after the game and during the week on the field and off. Here's our guest, Chip Simmons. But I wanted to go back into the past a little bit and just tell us yeah. sort of your journey from playing to being a spiritual advisor. It's kind of not that unique of a journey. I grew up in Philadelphia. I'm an inner city kid from Philly. Uh, just fell in love with sports at an early age, started playing sports, like like probably like eight or nine years old. My mom was a big, my father could kind of take it or leave it, but my mom was, was a big sports nut. Uh, she wouldn't come to my football games, though, in, in school. My father would come, but my mom just couldn't stomach it. She was a nurse, too, but I guess with her own kids, she really yeah. did. She came to one game in eighth grade, and that was the last game she ever came to. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> but God. I, 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 I developed, I never forget that game too. It was a snowy night in Philly and, you know, I had like three sacks that night, but, but one of them, a kid hit my leg. I dove at the quarterback and a kid hit my legs and I flipped over and caught the quarterback by the back of his neck and she never came back again. <laughs> she was too traumatized. So, <laughs> yeah, man. And she'll watch that stuff on Sundays on TV and baseball and all that, but she won't come near her own kids, you know. It's just that deal. But anyway, just grew up with a love of sports. Uh, my father used to listen to baseball on the radio. So to this day, I listen to baseball on the radio more than I watch it on TV. It's just kind of, it's just kind of listen to, to the radio. I'm glad you uh, shared that, baseball. Chip. I just think. I'm yeah. glad you shared that for two reasons. Number one, growing up, snow football. I mean, football in the snow, you know, it's like if there was a snow day, we would just get a ball, run at each other, and then just dive on each other in the snow until, <laughs> until somebody's boots got filled, <laughs> you know. And then somebody's mom would thankfully be there with a cup of hot chocolate. That's when the game was over, you know. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> but somebody just sent me a photo last month and it shows me with a New York Giants hat, but my boots, and I deny owning these to this day, are Dallas Cowboy boots. Oh, no boots. <laughs> oh yeah, you're a giant. So there's evidence out there, Chip. I just I just want to put that out there now. If it comes out later. You know. But, <laughs> yeah. But what you were sharing about the radio, I mean it's amazing, you know, talking about the history of sports getting passed down through the generation. And for my father, if you know, it was always on the radio. And we yeah. could go anywhere on the weekend, even if we went up in the New Jersey mountains, and there would be the game on. We'd always be listening. And, and even later, when we'd be watching on the TV, the volume would be off, and you'd be listening to, uh, I think it's the same guy who did the Yankees, did the Giants game. And those were the classics. I mean, they had to, they had to tell you a story. So it's so much more vivid. I just love it, man. I've just been around sports in some form or fashion since day one almost. Uh, my first sporting event I ever went to was the pin relays uh, in Philly, and, and just been that way ever since. And I didn't play; I, I played small college baseball. Uh, once you work with pro athletes, you realize your career as a player don't really mean that much. And so uh, I worked for the Phillies. Started working for the Phillies when I was a kid. Worked there for a long time, and then uh, I became a chaplain. My first chaplain job was in 1999, 98, with the 76ers. Uh, I was the assistant chaplain there, and I didn't want to do it. Told the guy no. I'm like, yeah, who am I to tell these guys this? I'm just trying to figure this thing out for myself. But <laughs> what I learned was it's all about just loving and, and being open and honest with them. Most guys in professional sports, especially in the football and basketball arena, a lot of them have the same background I have. So we were able to talk about life from that perspective and, and how to get over and not be a product of our, our environment, just be a part of it, but not be a product. So how old were you when you started as a chaplain? I was 38, 37 okay. when I started the chapel. Okay. Yeah, I, I got all this stuff started late. I became a Christian when I was 30. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of got into everything kind of late there on that on the script. It just wasn't for me, man. And, and God came after me in a different way and got me on a different side. Of it. Mm -hmm. Actually, sports to get me. I became a Christian in an Eagles team Bible study in November of 1994. Okay. Uh, in a little place in Jersey, a little little church in Mount Holly, New Jersey. Who was it, Reggie yeah. White? It was it was his best friend, obviously. How about that? Wow. And Reggie was gone. Reggie left in 93. and or the No, Reggie left in 92. I started going to the Bible study in 93, and it kind of all made sense to me in 94. So, yeah, it was Reggie's best friend, and it was the Bible study that Reggie had started. I got to know Reggie later on, his wife and, and was kids he and everything. Yeah, oh yeah, Reggie was a, was an ordained minister uh, for a long time. And that's why they call him the Minister of Defense, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I can White. love him. I can love him, and you know, begrudge him as an well, opponent went, at the same time. You know? Well, he went. He went to Green. Yeah, it's not wrong with that, man. Hey, look, I'm sure there's some Christians on the Cowboys. I don't know how, but I'm sure there's some on the Cowboys. <laughs> But it's, we'll I get him saved one day. Get him out. Of there. <laughs> That's right. Get him out of Jerry's world. Uh, <laughs> but but I remember watching. I mean, prayer groups, huddles after the game. But, but was it always as commonplace as it is today, or was there kind of like leaders like Reggie, you know, yourself that made it, you know, much more comfortable? Yeah, Reggie was kind of the spirit of the prayer after the game, and it's mostly in the football. Uh, every now and then you see it in basketball. But it's primarily in football, and Reggie was kind of one of the uh, leaders of getting that going. 
and now it's still stuck into this day where players meet at the 50 yard line for both teams. And, you know, you know, the first time I realized how, how real that prayer circle was, I, I think it might have been. I mean, I always knew it was real. But when you when you're in a heated battle with a team and you know you kind of don't like that team too much and and it's and, and you lose that game but you still walk out there and meet them at the 50 yard line and, and pray with them it says a lot uh, it said a lot to me to see our guys do that and it kind of helped me out a little bit and I kind of had to learn to you know you take the wins and losses seriously because everybody's job is on the line if a team ain't winning so you just got to know that but. You know, my priority is not wins or losses. That's up to the coach. My priority is trying to figure out how to keep these guys in the right frame of mind, even and, and keep them keep them uh, down if you're winning too much, or keep them up if they're losing too much. So always trying to keep that middle ground, you know, with yeah. it. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's been my job. Yeah, that's amazing. And you also work for the San Diego Chargers. No, what? no, I just did chapels for them. Uh, yeah. Before I got with the Broncos, okay. when they come to town, I would do the chapel for them because uh, the. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys that worked with them was with the Eagles when I was there. So whenever they would come to the town, he would call me to do the chapel. And that was before I got to the Broncos. Richard and I love stories about, you know, what your, some of your experience. Can you tell us, you know, what was a big win for you in mentoring? And you don't have to name names. That's not what we're after. But, but could you give us a little story of some of the big wins you've had personally while mentoring some of these guys and giving them spiritual advice? Well, it, it, it's kind of when the light comes on uh, for these guys. And like when I was with the arena football team here, the, the crush, that, that was like one of my – one of the biggest win is always when somebody – that could care less about Bible study or somebody that could care less about God and trying to keep players. It's a, you know, there's always somebody that's trying to keep players from coming to Bible study, just thinking it's a waste of time. Yeah. But, but when you have, when you start to have a relationship with that person and it happened with the Broncos, with one of our players and it happened in arena football with one of our players where it, it wasn't even a player, it was the equipment guy. And, and I thought I was going to have to choke him out one day. And, and, and then just near the end there, man, we became, we became friends, and it's kind of hard. The key to the whole thing is is that no matter what they do, you can't go that low uh, as they go, and you got to try to stay on a higher plane the whole time. And, but your flesh is always like, yeah, I don't care. We got, I'm about to go just as low as they go. But but it's it's always that's kind of been a big win for me. I think with with all of this, it's hard to really measure it because you, you just want to see guys, and, and you know, you're the chaplain for the whole organization, so you're not just there for the players. And that's what I learned. Uh, from a guy named Bruce McDonald when I was with the Sixers. I worked under him, and he just taught me, like, hey, if you think you're just there for the players, you've already failed. Uh, you're there for the whole organization, anybody that can talk to you. And so that that was kind of the biggest win for me, to just to learn that part and, and learn whether it's to, uh, the guys that sell popcorn at the stadium or the, or the, or the usher at the stadium, because I was one of them at one point in time. And, and, or, or whether it's the, the first string quarterback, they all need the same thing and they all got to be treated the same way. And uh, we used to have staff Bible study when I was with the Broncos. So we had our player Bible study and we had staff Bible study. And so everybody just knew that they were, they were a part of what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. It, when you look at, you know, the different players, part of the organization that you just mentioned, are there certain kinds of people that have more difficult time than others? And what, as far as what? 
just Connecting difficult time in life, in, just in life or in on the field that just are having a difficult time. Is it, are some of the guys getting hit more? Are some of the vendors just not being respected? I just, you know, was there a certain group that seems to be more in need of your guidance? I think it's, it's all basically the same. I, I think a lot of times it, it depends on what's happening off the field. Uh, mm. guys, if something's bad off the field in their life or whatever it is, it, it, sometimes it's going to bleed over into the game day and on the field. So part of, part of my job was if I we had a relationship with players, try to help them with that off the field stuff so it wouldn't bleed into game day. Uh, as a chaplain, man, once that whistle blows, you know, I've done all I could do for the most part. Now, there's times that I pray with guys in the middle of a game on the sideline or somebody got hurt during the game. But for the most part, I'm trying to deal with them all the way up until that whistle blows. Yeah. I, I think if I can teach them how to keep their off the field life uh, in check, uh, it all kind of just balances everything else out. But when that off the field life is bad, then it's really going to really come over and bleed into what's going on on game day if they're not careful. Now, now some guys can compartmentalize very well and for a long time, but I don't care who you are, eventually it's going to blow up if you don't get that part of your life in check. Yeah, and, and it can be that straw, right? It, it's usually that one thing. Like people can handle, you know, the things that they've been dealing with, you know, the, the family situation they've known for a long time, or you know, the, there's certain situations that they've become real resilient. But then it could be that one additional stressor, and and maybe having somebody like yourself, Chip, in the locker room, they know they could go to just to release it because distraction. Uh, just, there's nothing worse for performance than distraction, right? Yeah, you got that right. That's a good, you know, because part of the deal is, man, you got to make sure you're always available for those cats and, and for the people in the organization that they know you're available, that you don't want anything from them. You don't want autographs. and I'm not trying to get tickets from you. I don't want, I don't really want anything from you. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just here to be available and serve any way I can. And I think that a lot of spiritual leaders and sports teams go wrong. They, they let people influence how they deal with stuff like, you know, their friends, my friends always going to want something, man. This is part of the deal. But, but I let them know up front, like, listen, that's not why I'm here. And if you want tickets, I'll lend you some money to go buy some. But <laughs> I, can't, I can't help you no other way. Yeah. And if you want autographs, you got to wait outside with right. everybody else when they come out. I might put you out on the way out. But you got to wait outside like everybody else because I think uh, one of the hardest things is if you have a dual purpose, then they know it right away. And, and it'll be hard to get that connection with them. But when you have a single-minded purpose just to serve, it, it, the connections are real easy. And I mean, I've dealt with players with deep, dark secrets and deep, dark issues that they got going on. And when you get in those kind of situations, you can't be double-minded in that. You got to be single and focused. I help them through those things, and you can't want anything but to be a servant and and to be a guide and to help the best you can in their life. So that's a challenge that also goes for sports psychology consultants because you want right. the player to trust you and you want them to come with you with something they're struggling with. If they feel you're going to go to their coach or if you have an interest where you're you know starstruck, then they're not going to trust you, you know, because no, there's man. so much on the line. You can't get, it's an old 90s term, souped up. You can't get souped up on that stuff, man. I'm not a fan. Like, that's why I don't work in baseball anymore, because I'm a fan of baseball. <laughs> I want to be a fan of the game. But but when it comes to football and NBA and stuff like that, I'm a 
I'll watch the games, you know, but once I walk in that facility, I'm, I'm not a fan anymore. And, and I don't care who we get, because you think my time with the Broncos, man, we were everybody from Tim Tebow to Peyton Manning. And if I'm just walking around as a fan, you know, it's not going to do anybody any good. Because I don't care who you are, there's going to be a point in your life that you're going to need to talk to somebody about something. And who's going to be there ready? Because a lot, most people in your life want something from you, man. It's just kind of how human nature is. Not that they're bad people, it's just they want something from you. Yeah, and these are elite athletes at the top of the game. So people have been following them and, and watching them for a long time and wanted to attach to their success. And they're and these oh, players yeah. are young, you know, trying to figure out, well, who's my friend and who's just trying to, you know, get a deal or make a business deal off me. It's hard. I'll never forget a pastor told me, don't ever talk to the media, whatever you do. Uh, they have a job and, they, and they're good what they do, but don't talk to them. That's not your job. And I just like, yeah, the, and I just kind of blew it up because I'm like, where's the media ever going to want to talk to me? I was in arena football, but I was with the Eagles for a while. I was with sixes, nothing, nothing. But, man, when I got to the Broncos, brother, oh, my goodness. I was getting phone calls from the New York Times, man. But but me and the PR director for the Broncos, yeah, me and the PR director for the Broncos had a really good relationship. And he knew I never wanted to talk to the media ever about anything, about any player, because they didn't want to talk about me. They wanted to talk about one of the players. And right. I, don't know, I don't think they had bad intentions, but, hey, I say the wrong thing and it come out the wrong way. <laughs> And then I'm done. And I can't help anybody anymore. So I'll be like, Patrick, man, listen, uh, the New York Times called today. Uh, can you talk to them? And he's like, yeah. And he'll, he'll call them and say, hey, this is not what he does. And, you know, I had a, I had a Christian news outlet take a cheap shot at me because I wouldn't talk to them, man, during the Super Bowl oh. in 2014. So I won't say who it was, but mm-hmm. if they hit his podcast, they need to repent. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but but it happened. But they, you know, yeah. Them. But yeah, yeah. it's kind of like you can't, you can't, you can't let that stuff get to you, man. Because your job, my job now is even more intense because I'm helping them out, trying to make that transition out of the game. So it's that's even harder sometimes to be in the game. So it's you got to know what your strengths are. Yeah. So I th- this is kind of close to what we've been talking about, but maybe a little different. So Richard and I, I'm going to take this on Richard, um, notice that some players don't reach out for help. Like we provide, you know, we're really good at what we do and we're, we provide great help and uh, we're, you know, we're not trying to do anything else. We're not trying to be a fan. We're not trying to get you to buy investment property. We're We're just here to help in performance for Richard and in transition for me, right? Have you yeah. found that to be accurate, that some guys are just hesitate? You can kind of see they might need help, but they don't reach out. They got trust issues. Yeah. It's, it's, they it's all got trust issues. issues man. Yeah. And, and some of it is some of it is, is deserving. They, they should have trust yeah. issues, I think. Yeah. Just as we were Because I, yeah, I, I think even though my credentials, I still got to get players sometimes, other players that vouch for me yeah. uh, because of what I've done for them. Because they, they don't necessarily know. They may now know what I've done. But but you got to think, what you guys are doing, there, there's a lot of people trying that and doing that. But once you get a few players that you work with and start to have that credential and, and know that you can be trusted, um, then, then the players will, will trust you more. But yeah. it's good. somebody's got to vouch for you. It's just kind of the deal. And, 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 and I hope they continue to keep those trust issues yeah. because it, it'll save them a lot of heartache. And players oh, yeah. in the old days should have had better trust issues than they did, or some of them wouldn't even be broke like they are now. 
right. because they trusted the wrong financial planner, the wrong agent. There's different levels of trust we're talking about here. I mean, I know with psychology and sports psychology, the stigma has gone down now probably. I don't know how it is in the NFL, but MLB has, I think, one for every team. You know, now they have entire departments related to sports and performance. They have clinical psychologists, mental skills coaches. So hopefully the stigma is getting reduced where people trust it because they see that learning skills is not going to distract you from your performance, which is different than, you know, all the host of people that try and attach to you uh, because they're trying to take from you business-wise, or, or you know, which is a really hard vetting vetting practice. And some of our other shows deal with how you farm your off-the-field huddle uh, as well as on-the-field huddle. Um, Why do you think, I'm just going to go to some of the issues that both you and I know about, um, but why do you think so many pro athletes go broke? If you'd like to listen more, please click on the link for Making the Jump located in the show notes so you can get access to all of the shows and their complete recordings. This is Richard Listens, and I'm out. Mm-hmm.